This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Hello, everyone, and welcome to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Come to you, as always, from deep within the Outer Rim, far beyond the watchful eyes of the Galactic Empire. My name is John Mark Tolley, and joining me, as always, is my co-host... Eric K. Jones, the one and only. Uh, uh, one and only, yep. Uh, and Garrett, we have a um, a really cool panel today. We are joined, first of all, he is a writer and contributor for StarWarsNews.net. He is the founder, CEO, I don't know what you call him, of 1138 Productions. Yeah. And he is also the host of the Star Wars Canon Podcast, and more importantly, a former co-host right here at War of the Stars. That's right. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Miller. What's going on, everybody? Uh, not too much, not too much. Also joining us, uh, a former person who was, used to, was on the show a couple of years ago, I believe, a year or so ago. Um, he is the one of the hosts of Legal Geeks, Force Chatter, and the Joints of geek staff uh i believe that's all you put down there uh, mr thomas harper good to see y'all it's been a good minute i know right last time you were on was our trial of darth vader uh that's true was, that was a lot of fun that was his really, appeal is still pending you know it is a heck it of is. a thing <laughs> can we do a trial of jar jar binks episode at some point i'd defend him let's go yeah. <laughs> Please have me on for that episode. Please. Oh yes. Please. Uh well, we have these gentlemen all um because we've been kind of advertising this for a while talking about this. Um these two gentlemen are uh served in our US military and we're going to be and first of all, thank you both for your service. Absolutely. Um, uh, but we're going to be talking about Star Wars from the view of people who actually serve. Because, well, part of Star Wars is war. Um, it's in the name. You know, that's a big... Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we get started, uh, why don't you both give just a brief overview of your service, uh, where you served, how long, you know, um, anything like that. Uh, Thomas, why don't you start? Yeah, so I've been in, in spite of the beard, I have to shave this off at the end of the month. I am still in uniform, at least in a part-time capacity as a, an Army reservist. I originally enlisted out of high school and uh, did a, a joint program, did Army ROTC while I was in college and also serving on the reserve side. Uh, commissioned as, a, as an officer, as a lieutenant when I graduated college and then they let me go to law school came on to active duty right after that as a jag officer and so i've been a jag officer for gosh 12 years now so that's a jag is just military parlance for a military attorney so i've in that capacity deployed to afghanistan where i advised on combat operations for conventional and special forces uh, during operation enduring freedom i've been a military prosecutor military defense attorney, which I'm still serving in a, a very senior role there, handling complex cases. So I've done gosh, like three dozen 
or more courts martial and God knows how many other hearings and other stuff at, at different levels. Um, yeah, I've almost batted for the cycle in terms of number of jobs that you can do. But my two two focus areas have been criminal law and what the military calls operational law, what the rest of us know as the law of armed conflict or the laws of war. Uh, uh, Brian, what about yourself? <laughs> I don't sound like nothing compared to all that. Um, I joined uh, I joined the U.S. Army in 2010 as a 19 kilo, which is, uh, for those of you that don't know, that's uh, Abrams tank crewman. Uh, I uh, deployed to Iraq in 2011, and uh, since they weren't really using Abrams tanks uh, in Iraq at the time, we were more of an infantry kind of uh, mobile unit. We were in MRAPs more than anything, and so uh, I was stationed at Cobb right outside of Nazaria, Iraq. Um, right on route Tampa. I know that doesn't mean anything to anybody if you weren't in the military, but main route going through Iraq. And uh, we, were, we were stationed right there, did a lot of patrols outside the wire, especially in Nazari itself. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's uh, basically it for me. All right, cool, cool. Um, first of all, let's just get into, of all... Now, when I when I look at Star Wars and like what really shows, you know, military or anything, I always think to me, Clone Wars is the the closest. I mean, what what are there any particular episodes in Clone Wars that you look at and you're like, yep, that's exactly what it was like. Like like whether it be the combat or just the camaraderie of the clones. Is there any particular episode of the Clone Wars that as you guys look at and you look and think, yeah, that was really, that's really close to what it was actually like serving and being on the front lines and being in a combat zone. Waiting to see who goes first. So I'll say this, um, you know, with Clone Wars, there, there were, you know, a few, arcs um kind of the onderon stuff with saw mm -hmm. guerrera and, and kind of anakin training you know uh saws troops and stuff like that i mean there's that was that was a little similar to kind of what we did while we were in iraq um but it, but the closest thing was actually not clone wars at all it was andor or not mm -hmm. Andor. uh i'm sorry not andor uh rogue one yeah and when they're on jetta and you see the stormtroopers rolling through in their tanks and you see, you know, them getting ambushed by citizens and stuff like that. And it's you I mean, you don't know, you, you know, they couldn't tell who was the enemy and who wasn't because everybody looked the same, you know. And it's yeah. like it was that was that was probably the closest thing that I've seen in Star Wars personally. I mean, that's, yeah. just, that's just me personally. And but it was it was one of those things where I, I ended up turning to my wife and was like crap, were we the bad guys? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's enough to make you really think, yeah. about, you know. Yeah, I think of two two moments that aren't directly combat related, but one would be again from from the Mandalorian uh, season one, or, or it might have been the very beginning of season two. The two biker scout troopers that are just sitting around. Yes. Oh yeah, that was the end of season like, one. Not sure. <laughs> yeah, what's going oh. on? Nobody's telling them nothing, but they've got Grogu, and they're just like, you want to piss off Moff Gideon? <laughs> And then yeah. they just start shooting at stuff and punching the baby. Oh. I mean, it's just not not the baby punching so much, but that's military life. If you think that that the military is all about like kicking in doors and blowing stuff up, 
you're talking about like two percent of the experience 98 percent mm -hmm. of it's encapsulated in that scene and then I, <laughs> with clone wars i really gravitate on a similar note to rookies from mm. the first season where you've got the, the group there again not so much about the the actual ambush and the actual fighting itself but just the environment that they set up i mean it was the first it, that was the episode that sold me on the clone wars and yeah that was like five episodes in six episodes in yeah that was so you get one. a great look at at what you know young inexperienced soldiers are doing they're not sure i mean they have a mission generally but they're kind of they feel separate from the larger conflict and whatnot and all that changes on a dime and what that episode does exceptionally well i think is is show really when when the when the meat grinder starts it it's about the person next to you it's not yeah you know the the republic and all these like patriotic and like bigger mission mm -hmm. things like that's all well and good but you know and that in those moments it's it's echo looking out for heavy heavy looking out for fives and and uh, you know on down the line and uh it was just really powerful i don't know whether the the writers sort of knew what they were capturing but yeah. that's sort of the essence of it i mean Mostly well, how, re <laughs> how realistic i mean how realistic is that of the of the people in like your unit or whatever giving each other nicknames like like that <laughs> yeah Oh yeah, and you don't know you don't you never like your nickname. <laughs> never. Like yeah. If you if you like your nickname, that probably means that people don't like you, and That's you don't know what what your real nickname is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um I we where I live, I'm really close to the uh, Lemoore Naval Air Station, and I I've had some friends who were officers and uh, on on the base, uh, whether they were. Uh, flight line officers or they were actually squadron commanders or whatever but they were telling me that the nicknames that they get uh as far as like call signs and all that are based on you know sometimes the worst parts of their personality mm -hmm. yep yeah i've heard that before not to cross streams but i've heard that was the one thing that top gun got wrong was the the call signs that no pilot gets their call no pilot chooses their call sign it's yeah yeah. Well, they did in the sequel. You get Hangman, and it they make it clear that that name was given to him because he leaves you hanging when you need him. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right. It's all like it, it's typical. I mean, it, not a pilot, and I've not been an aviator, but that that community is around like highlighting a really unfortunate moment or aspect, and then tagging you with that, and then you wear it as a point of pride. Yeah. And I think that kind of blends over into my next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the the look at the how the especially the clone troopers looked at the droids, um, you know, as and bringing in kind of real history of. And I'm trying to figure out how to kind of word this is where the clones were able to kind of look at them you know, as less than human because they were less than human. You know, these were literally robots they were fighting. And, you know, you see this throughout history where it kind of bleeds in where the soldiers have to kind of look at the, look at their opponents in that same, and a lot of times in that same light, because if you start looking at them as, you know, people not to be, you know, just not to be, you know, I don't even know what the word is, but 
then it, it might make it harder to when you actually have to, especially if you're going to be in hand-to-hand combat. If you look at that person across from you, you know, and think about the fact like, oh, this person might have a family, they might have a child, then it makes that a lot harder to do what you need to do. So is that something that, you know, as a, as a person that was in combat that you even think about? Do you ever think about the the enemy? Do you ever think about your opponent? Or is it just, that's my, that's the person, that's my enemy, I can't think about that. I don't know if that came across right, but. It, it can, it can depend on the situation. Um, if, for example, you know, um, if, if, if you start taking fire and you know, it's you or them, it's, yeah. you, yeah. there's, there's something that switches in your brain and it's hard to, it's hard to, um, kind of articulate to people who've never experienced it, but there's something that clicks in your brain where you kind of go from, you know, like what you were talking about. That's a person, you know, they have a family or whatnot. And then you go to a survival instinct, your adrenaline kicks in and you just, you know, you, you can get tunnel vision and just, you know, I mean, you, you just, I do think time flies by, you know, you have no sense of anything and you just, you do what you have to do to get home. And it's, do you think that's where some of the, like throughout like in the clone wars, they always referred to the, the droids as clankers. Do you think that's where throughout history, some of the nicknames that the enemies have, you know, enemy forces that Germans being called Jerry's or Krauts, Japanese being called, you know, Japs what for, they were called. You know, yeah whatever you know different things is by calling these nicknames you kind of in a sense slightly mm-hmm. dehumanize them and you can kind of look at them as like oh these aren't Japanese people these are you know whatever you know these aren't you know just Vietnamese insert racial epithet here you know do you think the soldier that sometimes throughout history soldiers have kind of done that as a way to kind of I don't want to say excuse it, but just kind of their mind think like, you know. Yeah, I think to to some extent you you lump them together. It's it's so what you're talking about is the like a human killing another human, right? That's yeah. a pretty like we're not built to do that, right? <laughs> like like psychologically, like we are capable of it, obviously, but what soldiers are asked to do in, in combat is not like a normal thing. Right. So I think your, your brain sort of naturally does things as, as a means of self-protection, like self-preservation. And one of those is to sort of lump your opponent into this amorphous group, as opposed to, you know, that's John over there that I'm shooting. Yeah. Who's, you know, father of two or whatever. No, that's, jerry right that's just another german soldier from the war machine right so i think there's right. there's a component of self-preservation but also I, you know, there's and, and i can't speak to other conflicts but you know, there's a certain amount of angst and frustration you're in situations yeah. where um you know especially against a, a determined and capable enemy you're taking losses and and so there's a certain amount of anger i think that gets built up against uh, those that are the, the folks that are doing that. And so mm-hmm. I, I think throughout history, you do see some of that reflected in, you know, those, those nicknames or, you know, how some of that comes about. Um, but I, it's weird in the clone wars to try to make that analogy because they're just, I, I think there's more of the, 
the latter with the the battle droids and and the separatist army and the clones and there is the former i don't think the clones hey i don't think the clones are engineered to have any problem with with killing um, yeah i think that kim and owens like really carefully selected that genetic code for that yeah. aspect yeah however however um the business of destroying droids i think is a little bit different and so mm -hmm. I, I think there's that angst like hey this is the forces, the enemy that's a threatening the Republic that I was bred to, to defend and be killing my brothers. And, yeah. uh, and so we want to destroy them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think from, um, even from a storytelling perspective, you're, you're seeing a group of soldiers who are, they're not fighting against an, and they're fighting against an enemy, which is that separatist army um, in the Clone Wars. But from a person to person standpoint, they're they're looking at it as I'm taking out um, uh, automaton weapons of dis of destruction rather than yeah. taking out another soldier. Yeah, I completely agree. different mindset. I agree. Um, well, to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, uh, um, does a simple question: Were the Jedi good officers? I think to an extent, but they weren't. You know, we were just talking about how the clones were bred for battle and, yeah. and bred for what they were doing. The Jedi were kind of thrust into that yeah. situation. You know, they were peacekeepers. They were negotiators. They were, mm -hmm. you know, diplomats. They weren't they weren't soldiers, you know, and yeah. several of them have said that throughout. You know, we're, we're not soldiers, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and I think I think it's also different because, like, as far as I know, in today's military, you're not going to see generals leading Personally, real grabbing a sidearm and leading troops into combat. I don't know. Talk to the Russian army about that. <laughs> oh, um, you know, but but still, I mean, I, you know, we get such a limited view of it. You know, considering how many Jedi there were, you know, we get you know we get Anakin and Obi Wan. And then maybe a couple with Kit Fisto and Plo Koon and a, Luminara you know, and yeah. yeah or yeah, um, and of course you know the writers are always going to try to make unless there's a lesson to be learned the writers are always going to make the Jedi try to be as good as possible. So there's always yeah, that. But then but... you get the you get the flip side of that coin with Palm Krell and he he was just the worst. That guy like I've never wanted to hate a Jedi more. And I'm like okay. I get why the clone troopers want to turn on them. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I put it in two buckets and, and I, you know, obviously from my enlisted perspective is kind of limited and dated since that was a, a while ago. But when I stack up fellow officers and, you know, rate them in terms of inter like, are you good or not? Um, you know, do I think you're a good leader? I, I, sort of look at it from two buckets are you you know are you a good leader in general meaning your your relationship and how you you treat those that that are subordinate to you those that that you're in command of or in charge of and are you tactically proficient at what you do are you a good leader in in the sense of your your actual technical job whatever it is you're doing you could be good at both you could be good at one or the other or good at neither i would yeah. say uh paul krell Obviously, is a good example on the far end of the spectrum. Not great with uh, the the subordinates there. Treated yeah. them like treated the clones like scum. Just uh, you know, cannon fodder. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can make an argument about his 
tactical proficiency. I mean, it's all jaded by what he was doing in service to Dooku, but you know, it sounded like leading up until the, the uh, battle there, he had a reputation as a reasonably effective general. It just, albeit one that whose units suffered a lot of casualties. And so you can stack that however you want it in terms of your, your judge of his effectiveness. On the other end, you have somebody like Kenobi and there's um, I'm trying to think of the episode name. Uh, it's the, the second invasion of Geonosis, the second battle mm -hmm. of Geonosis. And so you get this yeah. first, the first episode in the arc is the literal invasion. Kenobi's leading a landing force and they take heavy fire and they end up in this uh, situation where the they've got uh, just sort of this mix mishmash of vehicles, gunships and ATTEs that are forming this perimeter and they're they're holding out for reinforcements. And you see this side of Kenobi there as he's tending to the wounded, as he's looking after his troops. It's really emblematic of of a good leader, somebody that is selfless, somebody that is looking out for those that he's responsible for and feels that sort of connection and that bond uh, to those folks. It would have been easy for him to just, you know, hide behind some armor and take cover and just issue orders out to the, uh, to folks that are in harm's way, mm -hmm. but he didn't do that. And, and he put them first and exposed himself to danger. I mean, to the point where Yoda was very concerned that, uh, that his life may be in danger there. Um, and then simultaneously, he's also a, pretty effective combat leader we see him pull off some cunning moves throughout uh different episodes his his troops certainly trust him cody certainly trusts him to to make the right call i would argue that uh you know that that trust is on display in revenge of the sith when they uh they go to battle on utapal cody knows that uh kenobi's going to take care of his aspect and they're sort of co-equals in this sense in in a sense um, I looked at that, uh, you know, Brian, you'll relate to this as sort of the sergeant major, like uh, battalion or brigade commander uh, type relationship where, you know, they're interlocking puzzle pieces. It's not, you know, Kenobi's up here and Cody's down here. So those are good opposite ends of the spectrum for me. Right. Kenobi right, also committed war crimes. That's uh, true. He's painting well, surrender and, you know, he's like, I surrender. And then he has like the table. He's like, we need refreshments. Like, that's a war crime. Don't worry about perfidy. <laughs> that little guy. Just, just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. You know, this is the this is the same group that had 14 year like basically 14 year old kids as officers. <laughs> that wrong. little guy, don't worry about that one. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> technically, you know, let's not forget, technically, uh, Ahsoka was a commander in the Army true. of the Republic. Oh yeah. True. Good old <laughs> snips. You brought up Krell a while ago and, and how he treated the clones and everything. And when you really step back and look at it though, he didn't look at the clones any differently than the clones look at the droids. Yeah. They're just no, autonomous. Yeah. You know, they're manufactured. Yeah. That's what mm -hmm. they're for. And so he I I think he looked at the clones very much the same way as the yeah. clones looked at the droids and you yeah, know, he probably it, looked it's, at it as like like well, so what if we lose you know a hundred of them? We can grow a hundred more. We got some right. those are built for. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to throw that in there. I thought that was no, that's a great point. point. Ago. Uh Garrett, um you feel free I'm, to I'm, jump in. I'm just, I'm just listening. This is great. I, I think this is a, a, a good conversation. I'm, I'm just, uh, I, what I, what I think is kind of neat is, um, 
the different perspectives we've got here from from you know combat to uh, the legal side of things and i i although i'm, yeah. I'm surprised it's not the lawyer who brought up the the war crime aspect of what kenobi did <laughs> The but, first, you know. the first time I watched that episode, and he like floats the table over, and he's like, "I surrender." And I'm like, <laughs> "Like in a no. parallel universe, Brian. In a parallel like, universe, Geneva Brian, you're a good prosecutor in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> you know. Well, since it just ended, um, with the uh, with uh, since Bad Batch just ended, one of the one of the big story arcs there was kind of the idea of the end of the clones and the clones getting phased out and especially i mean how hard is that to tra to to transfer from military life to civilian life and what i mean you know I, i'm sure it's harder if you've been in for a long time but you know as far as like what the what they might be going through and you know, where they're, they've literally spent their, I mean, these are people, it might it obviously it's like kind of different with you. You were a civilian, then you went to the military and you became a civilian again. But these are people who were literally bred for one thing. And then they're being told, sorry, you got to go back to not doing that one thing that you were trained to do. You know, I mean, can you give any kind of insight in what that i mean what what that would be like and maybe what you know from a story perspective what those clones might be going through and trying to figure out brian you want to take the lead sure i can do that um so i was i was only in for three years um i did a tour in iraq and uh it was um for the most part pretty uneventful but the parts of it that were eventful um were things that uh even you know 11 years later i still i still think about you know and yeah. and, and and uh you know i was i was 20 i think i was 21 or 22 no i was 20 yeah i was 22 when i went in and, and like i said i only did three years and uh actually deployed on my 23rd birthday so happy birthday to me and uh, and so you know, coming home and, and getting out and um, trying to, I mean, I wasn't home from deployment very long before I got out and it was still very fresh in my mind. I'd only been home like six months and uh, my, I had lost my dad like right before I got out. And, and mm -hmm. so, so he wasn't there. And so it's, it's a little bit of, you know, a, a personal situation. It's a little unique for me, but my dad wasn't there. And so when I came home, it was, it was tough. Um, I, I, I had a lot of problems personally. Um, and it's things that, uh, took me several years to get over. And, uh, uh, you know, it took my wife to help me to get through all, you know, a lot of it. I met her while I was in the middle of going through all of it and she stuck by me, God bless her. And, and, uh, she dealt with me and, 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 you know, the problems that I was dealing with. And so, uh, it's, it's, there's definitely a transition period there and, and it's easier for some than it is others. Yeah, it's kind of depending on who you are and kind of what your story is and and what you've been through and, and what you've seen and you know some people it doesn't phase them one bit you know and it's just and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with them they're not bad people for that stuff not you know that kind of stuff not bothering them um, but there, you know and then there's other people that you know it doesn't matter how much training you have when you when you're going into a situation like that it's way different when you when you actually yeah. have lead flying towards you you know rather than yeah you know you know, Molly gear. And, and so it's, uh, 
I, I think it just depends on the person and and kind of their experiences, how you know how they were kind of brought up even before they went in, because that that plays a huge part in it too on how you transition when you get out. And uh, I don't know, like yeah. like I said, I think it's just different for each person. Yeah, yeah. I think with especially with this with this season, the Bad Batch, it was completely different because you had these clones that had fought this war, you know, fought for four or five years, however long the Clone Wars were, and had bled for the Republic and then later the Empire and just want to continue serving and here they are being replaced. They're being cast out, you know, thrown away like garbage to be replaced. So that had to be something, I mean, I don't think that's anything that, you know, I don't think any, any, any soldier, you know, soldier, Marine, airman, you know, I don't know if there's anything that would be like that when in, you know, our you know in our military or any type of military where it's that kind of thing where you're just you know you're tossed out like garbage and you're just replaced by something else. Well, we didn't exactly see it that way, but I mean, think about the veterans who served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They were they were they came back to civilian life and they were treated like garbage by. Yeah. Yeah younger generations who were completely anti-war right. uh, and buying into that rhetoric. And um, regardless of which side you were on, on that, uh, on that debate, uh, I mean, it's clear to see that our, our soldiers our men and women who served during that time period were severely, um, uh, just severely treated horribly um, by both the populace as well as, as yeah. well as our government, but so, uh, oh god, yeah, no, go for it. No, the the scene that the, there was one of the most poignant scenes in all of Star Wars, animated or otherwise, in this most recent season. It was the scene in the seventy nines clone bar on Coruscant mm-hmm. where Senator Chuchi goes in and she's talking to the clones and you know tr- trying to uh, sort of talk some reason and and you know explain what she's doing and they're like completely lost and and there's a comment by one of them like what do you expect us to do like what what do you see for us in the future and the the what what stood out to me and what was really poignant to me is that the the you're almost looking off a, a cliff and you can't Everything else is foggy uh, where you're going because the the military, if there's one constant for all the branches, it's an institution. You get institutionalized the longer you stay in it. It is a weird, bizarro world where you're told where to be, what to wear, uh, when to be there, when you can leave and uh, where you're going to go next. You have very little control on the big things in in life and uh that includes deploying going to to dangerous places and doing dangerous things um and outside of that the 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 system that you live in whether it's healthcare or where you're eating in large part that's all provided by the military so it's it's in a lot of ways this big cocoon that exists around you when you're there and you know i i can say that even though i knew that i was continuing my service in the reserves. I sat through my transition period and the classes that they make you go through. And I was like, like, this isn't going to be any problem. But then 
what I didn't realize was I was about to move to an area with no active duty military base, no military community there, just very, very different than all the places I had lived for seven plus years on active duty without the sort of baked in community that you always have people that, mm -hmm. that have served like you or have been around people that are, are serving and sort of get it from that aspect. And it was a weird transition. And I didn't move to the boondocks. I came to Eastern Pennsylvania, like North of Philly. And, you know, you'd, you'd walk around and like nobody, it's a metro area, but like nobody has a concept of, of these things. And, and so you start to feel like a bit unmoored. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I like had a job, I had my reserve gig, uh, but I felt sort of like my rudder had gotten removed for, for a while. And so that, that scene really stuck with me because all they know is the armor, right? Yeah. Set aside whatever they've been through in combat. And I think you can draw some direct comparisons really powerfully to a lot of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans who served during, you know, particularly the 2004 to 2012 timeframe where it's a very high operational tempo units are, are going on a year on year off and maybe a little bit more. If you got stop lost and you were there for a 15 month tour maybe a little bit less in terms of your dwell time back home. And then you're right back out the door again to deploy again, or, or, you know, look at, at uh, some of the, the special forces community who are deploying with almost even more frequency than that, albeit a little bit different periods. That's the clones, right? They're constantly cycling in and out They're They're, they're not on like a year tour where like, okay, we're going to send you to the outer rim and then you're going to get to go on Coruscant for a year. They're in this constant state of action. And then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under them. And yeah. so it's that same sort of cliff that they're facing and it's juxtaposed against that, that sort of great uh, episode toward the end of this second season where uh, crosshair goes out to this like dinky outpost that's guarding oh, yeah. what turns out to be stormtrooper armor. So like <laughs> nothing, not like some classified equipment for the death star, just some stupid Stoop armor, armor. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. the stuff that I was entrusted to guard when I was 18. Oh, I think what uh, got what we talked about this in our, our kind of review of the episode was the fact that you knew like the, the armor that those clones have been wearing was breaking down. It was old. It was mm -hmm. ineffectual. And to know that that armor might have saved the life of those of the, of the clones that were there yeah. and to know that you're protecting this, knowing that. That they, could have, we could have used that armor. We could have used that equipment. It's a it's a great example because they didn't know what it was. They just knew that they had a mission and that they were assigned to it. And so it's that same sort of mentality where it's like, well, I've been ordered to do this. Like, I'm going to give my last full measure if I need to, to do this. And it's only at the end that they realize it's, you know, they're guarding the equipment that's literally yeah. going to uh, Well, that's actually folks that a them. great segue to my next topic, which is those Four, four words, good soldiers follow orders. Um, as a lawyer, I'm sure this is one that you kind of, uh, Thomas, that you can kind of look at and think like, not always. Um, good soldiers follow always... legal orders. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that seems to be, especially in season one of, uh, one of Bad Batch, that is like the thing that comes over all the time. And even Cody says it in this season, good soldiers follow orders. You know, I Thomas, I'll let you take this as far as that whole Order sixty six and the legality of that. 
Yeah, the, 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 the yeah, right. <laughs> the subtext the subtext is good soldiers follow any order that's given to you. So this this unquestioning loyalty, that's exactly the reason Tarkin and the Empire start to and really the Palpatine yeah. start to doubt their effectiveness as a combat unit is that they are starting to question uh the reasonableness, the legality, whatever you want to call it of of the orders. They they want the crosshairs, at least you know, the crosshair pre end of season two, where it's like, Hey, this is given to me by a superior. It is my duty not to question. Uh, or t- what's the quote from, um, uh, same private Ryan. It's not, our, it's not ours to question why it's ours to do or die or do and die. Um, and that's the mentality, right? Uh, so if it's issued to you, you follow it. That's what you're bred for. That's what your genetic code was altered to do. You're, you're made to be subservient. And uh, the Kaminoans prided themselves on those alterations. But unfortunately, that bumps up against um, the rule of law and a number of other concepts. And you see it peek its head out at different uh, uh, iterations during the Clone Wars. There's the, the great sort of end of the Umbara arc where Pong Krell orders the uh, dogma, the group to execute uh the the um hard case and the others who have sort of done their own thing and uh mutinied and there there's this great argument about whether what they're doing is right has nothing to do with anything external like you know fighting with the umbarans or a possible war crime it's literally an 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 internal order to do something that is just straight up not lawful and yeah that's regarded as mutiny in some cases yeah yeah, kind of remind I let let the let the jag officer have the legal side of it. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I just oh. point and shoot. Good, good order. Good soldier call orders. That's what uh, Thomas was talking about. Though kind of reminds me. Um, uh, jumping franchises over to Halo, for example, you've got the character of Master Chief, who is who has been raised from age six with this indoctrination. Of uh, you know. And even though it's not said, um, that mantra of good soldiers follow orders is in, is just kind of imbued into his character. And he does everything, uh, even if it puts his life at risk, um, mm-hmm. in these really exaggerated, you know, massively, you know, cinematic ways. Um, but one of the things that stands out to me is there's a scene in the fourth Halo game where he is given an order from an admiral to uh, to hand yeah. over Cortana's AI chip Cortana. and he refuses yeah. like this admiral is like getting in his face like thinking he could take down a Spartan and John 117 is just like no sir no <laughs> and so he yeah. runs the risk of court martial yeah of course he does that again in Halo 5 where he just runs amok and goes AWOL but yeah, <laughs> yeah. well I mean and I, I, nothing like this is, I don't think, has ever happened in real in real life. But with Order sixty six, that was just wasn't just a an order from a a general or a, a you know a republic commander or anything like that. There was a, literally an order from the supreme chancellor. Emperor, you know, yeah. Well, at that point, he he I don't he hadn't named himself emperor yet. True. He was still technically the supreme chancellor. Um. So, you know, I don't know what the legality, legal issues of of that of when you get a when you get an order from literally the <laughs> commander in chief, 
<laughs> like you can't go any higher. <laughs> you got to keep in mind and to too. be told and to be told you're doing this because you know the these generals, these Jedi, are now have committed treason. Well, you got you got to I mean, keep that, in mind that was, too. That was the that was kind of the legal legal issue they gave with it was like we have to do this because the Jedi have committed treason. They tried to uh, they tried to assassinate the Chancellor. They've been an act of treason. They're so powerful, we can't leave them alive. So we have to just wipe them all out. Well, don't forget about the inhibitor chips, too, because yeah. they basically, I mean, every clone was basically a sleeper agent. And yeah. so it was, you know, kind of a brainwashing thing. And the fact that Jedi knew about it. They knew about the chips. <laughs> I... Yeah. Let it never be said that the Jedi weren't um, fully prepared for this. <laughs> Yeah, they they had it coming. <laughs> they, they had it coming. Very naive. Um, now let's kind of look. I want to kind of switch views a little bit and talk about the you know moving out of the Clone Wars into the Galactic Civil War, and from the view of an Imperial soldiers fighting a fighting a rebellion, fighting against a guerrilla type of combat and what that is like as far as, you know, if you're just a, you know, Imperial soldier on some world fighting a bunch of rebels and, you know, the frustration that might lead, you know, never, you know, one, never knowing who your enemy is, never knowing where he might strike, um, you know, and how I'm sure, you know, as some, you know, either one of you can kind of take this and what. What's, what's cool is, you know, and I hate to I hate to use the terms pre Disney and, and post Disney, but in this case, yeah, I, I mean I, you kind of have to pre Disney. Star Wars was very black and white. Yes. It was the evil Galactic Empire and the heroic rebel, you know, Rebel Alliance, and it even said it in the opening crawls: the evil Galactic Empire, you yeah. know. And so now, you know, we've got as we get more and more material, you know, canon material, novels, movies, you know, like Rogue One, and and you know, and things like that. They've really delved into this gray area mm-hmm. between between the two. They've really humanized the Empire a lot. Well, um, one of my favorite scenes in um, Mando, I believe it was season two, is with Bill Burr's character, where they're they're trying to sneak into the Imperial base and they're being chased by the rebels, and then a Tie Fighter comes in and takes out the. And as they're going in, you know, they're driving the the big the big trucks or whatever, and they're they're going into the base, and you see the Imperial stormtroopers cheering mm-hmm. them, and they're like looking like, oh, wait, we're the heroes. That's like you're looking at the Empire for a completely different view yeah. of, you know, these are just guys. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of really good fan films that have tried to look at, you know, look at it from the Imperial point of view. Um, one of my favorites is. It shows, I think it's like four stormtroopers, and they're getting ready to land on Jeddah. No, not Jeddah on on uh, Jakku. Uh, it's the beginning of the Battle of Jakku, and they're all talking about why they're why they served. And you know, one person was like, you know, I'm I'm here for I'm here because it pays good. You know, I'm here. You know, I need a paycheck. You know, others were one one guy was drafted. You know, another one was. You know, he all was all for the empire, and the third one, he just looked at and says, "My brother was on the first, on the second Death Star." Yeah, 
Yeah, that that's that's, the thing. that's yeah. the thing, and you know they've they've really humanized them. And yeah, on the flip side, they've also shown a very darker oh, much darker side of the Rebel Alliance. Look at Rogue oh, yeah. One. Oh. You know, they were going to assassinate, you know, and, and Andor even said, you know, we've done things we're not proud of assassinations yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So they've they've really shown this gray area yeah. and, and humanized both sides to a degree. And we I, said we said it last week. It. I'll say it again. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Saw Guerrero is a dick. Yes, no, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And Saw's a, a good example of where I think the the newest canon is has shined brightest because he provides this nice juxtaposition against somebody like a mon mothma that that's really mm -hmm. trying to hold up the the pure ideals of uh, the republic and and sort of restore freedom in the purest sense yeah. saw is consumed by anger and vengeance and and is willing to completely take off the gloves to, to achieve what he needs and yeah there's a phenomenal scene in rebels in which uh, the the rebellion has just missed a, an opportunity to, to sort of hit this uh, convoy out in space that you know argue they don't know it but it's carrying parts for the Death Star and um, saw his uh, giant hologram of him confronts yeah. uh, Mon Mothma on Yavin and he's like you know you, you're not doing what you need to do effectively with you the rebellion is not going to win and then she like her angriest outburst that I've ever seen on screen. You know, she accuses him of killing civilians and, and doing all of these unlawful things. And, and it just completely undermines the cause. It, it, it is no better than the empire. I think that's a phenomenal like connection point to Andor and what it's done because you got, gosh, you like three episodes in the, the sort of culminating <laughs> episode of the Aldani mission where they uh, take the sort of, uh, base administrator hostage oh. in front of his family and he ends up dying and and uh, you know this is all playing out before cassian's eyes his stuff goes sideways <laughs> he's just trying to survive but you see the the just like abject desperation and so yeah. i love that gray area but i also love how <clears throat> at least in andor you see some teeth put in the empire that like just how dangerous they mm. were and you start to see at least some of the justification or, or like how people like saw could get to the sort of mindset that they entered yeah. into. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, one of the things I, I think is really kind of interesting, especially going back to the original trilogy is, uh, and this again, coming from a writing perspective is the use of warfare within star Wars. Cause like, really most of it is all these little skirmishes on board where it's person to person on board the death star. Uh, but then you get to the battle of Yavin and it's more your traditional um, uh, ship to ship combat where you have, you know, yeah. basically two air forces going yeah, to get fights. Yeah. And the dog fight. And I thought that was really cool. Well, um, I mean, famously Lucas used actual footage from world right. war two dog fights mm -hmm. to right. kind of piece together how, how that would look. But then but then you look at the Battle of Hoth, for example, and while you do have air support coming in, especially from uh, from the rebel side of things with the snowspeeders, you have essentially trench warfare yeah. going on, which feels very World War One in its in its design, where you have <laughs> these massive tanks coming towards the trench and the rebels are just trying to use the the natural landscape to their advantage. Um, and then 
you get to Return of the Jedi and you have, again, the traditional dogfighting in the naval combat going on while there is actual guerrilla warfare taking place on Endor. And mm. it is like in the fact that it bounces back and forth. It, it was kind of interesting because like like as a kid, I remember watching Return of the Jedi and the scene where the Ewok gets taken down. Uh, the um, one Ewok. Yeah. yeah, one Ewok. We got him. Uh, <laughs> it's like, Their air support is you know, gone. The, th the thing that popped in my mind is, wow, there are people who are involved in this that you would hope don't get hurt. And there are people who are going to be caught in the crossfire, like we saw on Jeddah with, um, with the, uh, you know, the attacks going on in Jeddah City uh, right before uh, Saw and his forces, you know, take uh, Jin Erso. But there are people who get caught in the crossfire, and and they're just there. They just they're trying to live their lives, and stuff is yeah. happening around them. Yeah. Going back a little bit um, to view through the Imperial, one of my, even though it's, you know, it's hit or, you know, hit or miss, some people like it, some people don't, but one of my favorite scenes in Solo is when Han is on that planet Man, as an Imperial, as an Imperial soldier. And just the, for, for one, you know, I like the fact that they showed Imperial soldiers that weren't stormtroopers, like, like you didn't like in the original trilogy, you didn't. If you saw a person without a stormtrooper, you know, you know, helmet on without stormtrooper armor arm, he was probably an officer. But these were just uh, for the expression grunts in mm -hmm. the mud, mud troopers, mud troop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, no armor, no helmet, just out there. But I really like that. Um, and like I like you said before, Rogue One is. I've said this before. Rogue One is probably not one, not only one of my favorite Star Wars movies. It's one of my favorite war movies. Just a great, great movie overall. Um, so no, I, I agree. Leaving. I no, I agree. Rogue One or yeah, Rogue One is. You know, I I don't want to talk about sequel films. Uh, so like, Rogue One is like. The, the the best film disney's come out with so far i mean that's like gold standard as far as i'm concerned and you know and it was the one that they took the biggest risk on with it not being connected to anything else you know and, mm -hmm. and so when they told us that it was going to be a gritty boots on the ground kind of war film i was like yeah yeah was it was it they what was one of the selling points they were putting war in star wars yeah it was basically star wars saving private ryan and private ryan was the death star plans and so yeah I, I was like, oh yeah, heck yeah, I'm I'm game for that, you know, and and you know even from not even just the films but the novels too. When we got the first Battlefront novel, Twilight Company, yep. that was really Great. cool. It was yeah. it had a slow start, but man, it was really good when it finally Great. kicked off, yeah. and it was a very relatable novel. You know, it was from that soldier's point of view, and and so it was something I really thought was. I mean, it was great. I'm, I'm so glad that they're that they were you know at least for a little while focused on that aspect of star wars you know they're kind of getting back to the whole force and jedi thing now apparently but you know it's it's you know and, and like with this upcoming dave filoni movie this this mando crossover thing i think we're going to see a lot more of that i mean that's going to be so. all on i hope so i'm still, still disappointed that it looks like we're not getting rogue squadron yeah I, that's a bummer i was really looking because i mean i you know i i when i was growing up i always want to go you know be a pilot 
get in the Air Force. Unfortunately, I tried to enlist, but it was not um, health reasons. They wouldn't take me. The Marines were would. Marines, yell. <laughs> Marines. The second the second I got the call, I no longer had hung up from the guy, the Air Force recruiter, who told me like, "Sorry, we can't take you because of your your uh, your heart condition." I no longer no sooner and hung up before the phone rang again. It was the Marine saying, "Hey, we heard the Air Force won't take you." We'll take you. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll make your heart explode. <laughs> my, my thought was, I told them no, but my thought, my first thought was like, I have friends who are Marines. Yeah. No. <laughs> no I is, love them, but no. What's funny is I wanted to, I wanted to join the Navy first. And yeah. so I, I would talk to a Navy recruiter and went through a lot of the process. And then he was like, I'll let you know when you're supposed to be going to MEPS. And I was like, all right, cool. And then like four months went by and I never heard from him. And so I was like, okay, am I going or not? So I went to the army recruiter and I enlisted with him. He sent me to MEPS. I swore in. And then two days later, the Navy recruiter calls me and he's like, hey, you ready to go? And I'm like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, I'm in the army. Sorry. <laughs> like, well, I hashtag with, sorry, not sorry. With me, I was going to go into the Navy too. Uh, this was right out of high school. I was even, I was in, still in high school in my senior year. I'm talking to recruiter. He's, he's, been, he's at my house. We're talking to him. Um, I was talking to I had a teacher who was a, a submariner um, in the Navy, and he told me right away, he's like, don't believe a word they say. They will lie out their teeth. Accurate. Um, but I just had to do every do my do like you said, do my maps, you know, take 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 the oath, everything like that. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him. I'm like, now, once I do this, that's it. Right. He's like, yep, that's it. He's like, there's no backing out. There's no backing out. And I started thinking about like, I could handle being on an aircraft carrier. I could, uh, I don't know if I could handle being on like a little destroyer for six months at a time crammed in. I'm like, I'm not that claustrophobic, but like, oh, <laughs> so I backed out, but the air force, I was ready to go. I was just, I, I'd done the ASVAB. I, I picked what I, what I wanted to do, um, was ready to go. And then he got the call like, yeah, sorry, we can't take you. I'm like, and I was just at the cutoff age too for the Air Force. Oh, I, I was like 28. I was 28 at the time, and I was just at that like that cutoff age. I'm just like, uh, well, I did not sign up for the military. My grandfather was military. Um, mm -hmm. My dad thankfully uh, dodged. Well, he didn't intentionally dodge the draft for Vietnam. Uh, they changed the uh, the drafting requirements, mm -hmm. and so it kind of reset the schedule. And so since yeah. his birthday was in October, he, he got kind of a pass on that, which is nice because he probably would have gotten shot or blown up. Um, but yeah. uh, I had a couple of friends who who joined up. Uh, one went Army. One tried to go Marines. And his recruiter told him he'd be completely fine going through basic with, with asthma. Had two <laughs> asthma attacks during uh, during the first week or so of basic. They, they discharged him. Um Jeez. And his entire goal was to become a, a recon sniper. And I'm like, no. sorry, buddy. The, the other well, guy, the other friend of mine, he didn't go right into the military right away after high school. He signed up about six or seven months after graduation because his dad, who was Navy, active duty, kicked him out of the house, said, nah, you can't live here anymore. No reason. Um, and he really had no other place to go. So he signed up and he signed up for the army because it was a big middle finger to his dad. Um, yeah. He got put together with an, uh, he was attached to um, 
the Bradleys uh, out of Fort Lewis and um, did serve a tour in Iraq. Um, and it was like right before he would have been done. So he re-upped for like 11 months because he was supposed to do a year over there. Um, and he, they would have sent him right home after like the first two months. And so yeah. he um, he did that. So he um, he eventually made rank of sergeant or something like that. Um, but going back to talking about, you know, afterwards and how, you know, how to reconnect in as a civilian, he struggled with it. Um, yeah. And uh, it, really heavily, too. And I, I don't know where he's at now. We've we've lost touch. Um, but I mean, I looked at what happened with my grandfather because my grandfather was army served in world war ii from you know 1943 to 1945 and uh he was up in northern italy and while he wasn't part of anything with like d-day or anything like that thank thankfully he did see some combat in the alps and what he saw stuck with him and so coming back after his his time in the military um that stuck with him yeah. and uh having to, to readjust civilian life and and it it he turned to the bottle pretty quickly um, and it, you know, that created some issues for him later on. Yeah. Um, but. Well, I'm just know. speaking of that, you know, kind of going to my, my family, my, even my wife's family. Um, my grandpa was also fought in World War II. He was a, he worked for the railroad. So he went in 44 and uh, in France, originally England and then went over to France after D-Day. Uh, but he drove a troop transport train, um, driving troop, you know, ferrying, moving troops and material back and forth through, through through France. And he didn't talk about his experience until really talk about it until like near the end of his life. And but then you have my my wife's grandpa, who was in the navy during the, during the war. Um, he served from forty one to forty five. He lied about his age to get in. He was 16 when he went in, lied about his age, served on a minesweeper. And he would talk about it all the time. I mean, all the time. He'd always tell the story about being chased by a Japanese destroyer in the Philippines. And <laughs> there, he said he would talk about, you know, that there was getting on him. They're just out of range, just trying to keep out of range. And they looked over the horizon and they see a battleship coming over the horizon and the guns start going off of the, uh, the, at the Japanese destroyer and, it was the it was the Missouri coming over the horizon at Adam and um but even there was things he wouldn't talk about. Like he was in he was one of the first cleanup crew after uh, in Hiroshima. So he was in Hiro Hiroshima after the bomb. And you know, he said again, he talked about like what you you said earlier on, not knowing who the enemy was. You know, the war was over, but there were still Japanese that were trying to fight. You know, he talks about having to seeing someone have to kill a, a woman with her kids because the woman was had bombs on her and they were trying to kill the American soldiers and, you know, that kind of thing like that. But um, which goes back to, you know, guerrilla warfare and, you know, that type of, you know, people who will do anything. I think the, the best line I ever heard in a movie and I can't remember what the, what the movie was, but they're talking about Vietnam and they're, they're, they're in a bar and someone makes a comment about like about the Viet, about the Viet Cong. And he's like about the fact that, you know, 
how can we not defeat these guys? They're they're shooting air, they're shooting bows and arrows at helicopters. And he said, How do you defeat an enemy that's willing to shoot bow and arrows at a helicopter? Like that's that is the limit they're willing, that's as far as they're willing to go. They're willing to do anything that they're they're they'll shoot bow and arrows at at they'll just throw anything they can because they're willing to give their life and give everything to this cause. You know. But I can't stand U.S. Army movies now, like um, like uh, like Black Hawk Down. Yeah, I see them with the fifty cal on top of the Humvee, and it's like, bah, 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 bah. it's like, no, your headspace and timing is so bad on that fifty cal. Like, what the hell? You know, it's like it just drives me absolutely crazy now. And like, I, uh, my wife, she hates it when we watch war movies yeah. together. Oh, sure. like, it's not real. That's I'm not sure. how it happens. Like, what the I'm heck, sure. man? That's glorified, you know, and. And then we went and saw American Sniper, and it was like, mm, that's about as close mm-hmm. as you're going to get. Like, yeah. you know, so, and and it's like, yeah, it's, I can't stand war movies now. It's just, the arm, being in the army ruined them for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I do well, like Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars yeah. is fine. Yeah. Star Wars is yeah. fine. But like, well, part of that is because you guys have that burden of knowledge. I mean, think about, think about doctors watching, you know, medical dramas. Grey's Anatomy. Or, <laughs> yeah. lawyers watching legal dramas. I mean, my right. dad's an attorney and, you know, he actually, I mean, he'll, he'll watch, you know, the occasional legal drama, but for the most part, he, he turns it off because, you know, things are happening way faster than they normally would with the court system. And <laughs> yeah, uh, accurate. Or, yeah. or, or police <laughs> officers watching, you know, cop shows. Mm. Kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, we're uh, coming down to our our time, so we will start to wrap things up here. Uh, first of all, once again, I want to thank you guys for being on. Uh, if everyone out there, if this is your first time watching War of the Stars, thank you. Uh, please come back. Uh, but with that being said, Brian, why don't you tell the people out there where they can find you at? So you guys can find me in a number of places. You guys can find me on the uh, YouTube channel for StarWarsNewsNet.com. Uh, I do the weekly roundup videos now, talk about the biggest news stories from the website and kind of put them all together with a nice little bow. Uh, we also do Star Wars News Net Live once a week. Where we talk about the newest TV episodes or anything like that. This coming one, we're probably going to be talking a lot about celebration announcements because holy crap. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've also got my own show, the Star Wars Canon Podcast. You guys can check that out uh, live every Thursday night right here on YouTube. And then later on, if you guys listen on Spotify, Apple Podcast, stuff like that. Uh, you can catch it on uh, Saturday night. Uh, mark your calendars if you're interested, though, because it's it's uh, I see it seems appropriate for this episode to talk about it. On May 6th, I'm going to be doing a 24-hour live stream. Uh, we're going to be playing Jedi uh, Fallen Order, and then we're going to be finishing that up and going into Jedi Survivor for 24 hours. But during the live stream, we're going to be raising uh, money for uh, awareness and prevention of veteran suicide. And so, and the way we're doing that is I've got behind me, I've, I've got a whole bunch of hardback Star Wars books that I've collected over the years. I went to a digital collection. So I want to see these books go to people who are going to appreciate them and, 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 you know, love them. If you've got a Holy Grail hardback that you're missing or whatever, if you donate during the stream over a certain amount, I'll send you whichever hardback book you want as a thank you uh, for your donation. And every penny of that is going to go towards uh, raising awareness for, uh, veteran suicide so awesome. that's on may awesome. 6 from 7 p.m to 7 p.m awesome uh thomas what about you where can people find you at 
Normally, you can find me on Twitter at Thomas L. Harper in the name. It's very creative, and I appreciate your applause for my creativity. I'm normally just screaming about Y-Wings over there, so that's good. Uh, until f- we've been doing a weekly uh, recap of legal issues in The Mandalorian, everything from child endangerment of Grogu yes. to... Yes, that Gosh, sounds so a, awesome. Yeah, a mercenary. You know whether the whether these Mandalorians are actually mercenaries under the law, like they claim to be, um, all sorts of stuff. So we do that Tuesday nights. Uh, we'll go live at nine thirty Eastern time. So that's fun. You can find that over at the Legal Geeks. <clears throat> and then uh, writing that down. My my civilian job with the American Red Cross. I lead a Law of War program and. One of the initiatives that we do, our, our mission is to educate the American public on the laws of war. And we'll do we do a lot of pop culture crossovers using movies and TV to, to help uh, understand the laws of war. May 4th at uh, eight at night, we're doing eight Eastern, a uh, Star Wars and IHL event, uh, Star Wars and the law of war. So look out for more. I'll, I'll pin a tweet with uh, the information about that. Uh, but it's always a lot of fun. Uh, I've got a brand new bag of issues to be talking about this year. So that will ring in Star Wars Day with a little legal drama. Nice. Nice. Garrett, what about yourself? Well, you guys can find me, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at GKJ underscore publishing, where I post about my books, uh, which some of them have uh, my own nods to my fandoms, including Star Wars. Um, but it's mostly uh, high fantasy. Um I also promote my YouTube channel, which is also called GKJ Publishing. Uh, Very, very on-brand branding there, Um, where I do a series of top 10 uh, book recommendations, author interviews, uh, creative writing tips, including right now my creative writing tips are all based on uh, world building. Last season, I used uh, the original Star Wars film for The Hero's Journey. Um, and then um, this coming up uh, right now, I'm in the middle of my uh, my author awareness uh, April uh, interview marathon. So each week there's a, a, a new uh, author that I'm interviewing. But on May the 6th, which is also free comic book day for those of you who are comic book fans. Is it really? Um, yes, it is. Mm, why am I doing my stream that day? What is wrong with me? <laughs> oh um, so. Uh, just send your wife to go get your comic books. Um, <laughs> so uh, on May the 6th, I actually have uh, Will coming on my show, Darth Tuba. Uh, he is actually going to be present, awesome. uh, presenting his top 10 Star Wars book recommendations. Uh, and then while that episode is premiering on YouTube, I will actually be down at my local store uh, selling books for free comic book day. Nice. 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 All right. As for us right here, of course, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do that through email. That is the best way to get a hold of us. Warofthestars1 at gmail.com. That is also our Twitter handle. We do a lot of stuff, cool stuff over on Twitter. Polls, I, polls, stuff like that, questions, stuff like that. Uh, Facebook group, other social medias, medias, just search War of the Stars. If you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash War of the Stars. Or you can go to our Spreadshirt shop where you can get this Brian Miller designed shirt. That looks awesome. Nice. It does. I'm going like to get it. one of those. Those are cool. <laughs> uh, but yes, as I as I alluded to, uh, Brian is the designer of that. Really, cool, some really cool designs. Thank you very much. Oh, no worries for those. Um, 
what am I missing? What am I missing? Uh, Twitter. Oh, we are part, of course, the Red 5 Network. Go to red5network.com for more information on all the shows that are part of the Red 5 Network. Um, really cool group of guys. Really cool. Bunch of really cool shows on there. Uh, check out. We haven't put a new episode out, but check out Star Wars Through the Eyes of a Child, my YouTube show where myself and my eight-year-old daughter are watching the Clone Wars in canological order. Not chronological order, canological order. Very nice. Um, and talking about it, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, she, she uh, just on a side, when we first started watching, because we'd already watched some of Bad Batch, a couple episodes of Bad Batch, and um, we got to the episode Rookies. And the first thing she real she heard she heard ninety nine and she's like oh, like Clone Force ninety nine I'm like yep yeah and she recognized yeah. Echo she heard yes. Echo and uh, her favorite character right now um, don't say Echo she's gonna no. break her heart no <laughs> yeah no it is uh, Rex good oh like a smart daughter Rex. yeah that's a, that's a well, solid character choice you're raising her right good job exactly Te- technically her favorite <laughs> technically her favorite is is uh is Vader. Okay. I'll allow that. Still raising her right. Right. She she went to Halloween as Lady Vader. Yeah, murdering children is fun. Yeah. Um, but um she also I'm likes probably gonna go to jail for saying that now. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably on a list somewhere. Yeah. She also likes Ahsoka, and fun fact, she shares the same birthday as Mark Hamill. Very cool. We've tried to we yeah. tried to I tried to put throw some tweets out to to, to Mark about Hey, my daughter. That'd be uh, cool. That would be so yeah, cool. She, I, he, he liked a video of her, of her uh, we put of her once, of nice. her watching Star Wars. I, yeah, that was pretty I, cool. I cannot get my son to get interested in Star Wars. His favorite Star Wars character is Godzilla. Um, so <laughs> maybe showing cool. him the Zillow Beast episode of Clone Wars. Yeah. Oh, there you, there you go. There you go. Yeah. A little, but, little uh, kaiju love. There's I got to be really careful, man. Because, yeah, he, he, he still blurs the lines between fiction and reality. And uh, but oh, I yeah. tried turning on an episode of Bad Batch a few weeks ago, and he's like, "Oh, not this again." Oh, oh. sounds oh. like it's time for a grounding. <laughs> he's, got oh. he's got his things that he likes. Yeah. Did you get the right Fair baby enough. from the hospital when he was born? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that being said, I want to thank you guys for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, you guys are welcome back anytime to talk about anything Star Wars. You guys got open invitations, as always, uh, both you guys. Um, but with that being said, remember, this is not just my Star Wars. This is not just your Star Wars. This is our Star Wars. Until next time, may the Force be with you. This is the way.